Good morning, everybody, again. I think I've probably said, like, good morning, like, three times. I can already feel, it is, well, it, not with me, it won't be afternoon soon. We'll be done before afternoon. Um, I can already feel it from the 9 a.m. class and everything else in my voice. So we're going to go through this, and we're going to pray that my voice holds out uh, through this. But as we have said already, uh, it's been a great day of celebrating those graduates, those, those who have worked hard through school and moved on to new adventures. Uh, it was great to, to celebrate with these families, with, with these dedications of, of their children um, to the Lord, uh, a time to, to reflect on all of God's blessings that he's given to us. And we pray that all those children would come to an understanding of knowing Christ and understanding all that he has done for them. And now we turn our attention to this final message, this final time of us coming to the book of Acts. And as Jess was saying on stage, how long have we been in this series? I looked it up, and Bill gave the intro to Acts on August 2nd of 2020. So that is when the first message occurred. Now, because of that, we've uh, having our, our upper room services, our communion services, our different uh, themes. So we kind of spread it out, but that's how long. And then we took a break uh, for the Christmas Advent messages. So uh, that's how long we have been now here in the book of Acts, since last August. And as we were setting out on this journey, we called this series The Birth of the Church, because it's in Acts that the church begins and the church grows. Remember, in the book of Acts, when it first begins, Jesus is still on the earth. And in Acts 1, Jesus ascends into heaven, but he leaves his disciples with some final words of instructions. In Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that's his final instruction as he is heading off and ascending into heaven. He gives these last words of instructions, these last words to his disciples, to those who were gathered with him. And then we see in the book of Acts how this begins to play out. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming on the scene at Pentecost. Remember with the flames of fire. Then we see Peter give a great gospel message, and thousands are saved, we are told. We also get a glimpse into this early churches and their foundation, and it was the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and of prayer. And this is kind of in church circles known as the big four, the things that churches cling to of those four, the teachings, the breaking of bread, the prayer, and the fellowship. From there... We see them following that great commission of being a witness for Christ. Peter and John preach miracle, preach and perform miracles. We see the disciples arrested and brought before the, the very same Jewish leaders who had sentenced Jesus to death. We see one of the care of the early church. We see how they provided and looked out for one another. They were a family. Then we see Stephen, a man killed because of his boldness, because of his preaching. And we see then a man, Saul, who was there giving approval for the death of Stephen. 
Then that same Saul, who was also known as Paul, was on, and he had his own encounter with Jesus that forever changes his life. He would become a messenger of God, someone who would go from persecuting the church to building and planting and sharing the gospel message. In fact, when God is talking with Ananias in Acts 9, remember this great scene when he comes to Ananias and he says, I want you to go and talk to Saul. And he's like, uh, no, this is the guy who is killing Christians. You sure you have the right person? And God says in verses 15 and 16, he says, For he, speaking of Paul, is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Peter then goes and he takes the gospel first to the Gentiles. Then we see James killed. We see Peter arrested again. And then Paul on his missionary journeys becomes one of the main and the biggest focus on the second half of the book of Acts. He'll take three journeys, traveling around, planting various churches, churches to whom later he will write back letters to, to encourage, to challenge them, all occurring on these missionary journeys of, of a time of spreading the gospel. Then we came a few weeks ago to Acts 21. And in Acts 21, Paul begins a new journey, and it's a journey to Rome. You know, as we study the book of Acts, it's important to understand, again, the, the time frame that we're looking at in this book. Remember, as I said in the beginning, Jesus is still on the scene. And we find out in Acts 28, as commentators look at it, it's kind of 60 to 62 A.D., depending on who you look at. So it's almost, you could say, covering a span of 30 years through this book of Acts. Then as you get into Acts 21 and Paul's journey to Rome, depending on, again, who you read, it's, it's various like two to three years of time has passed between Acts 21 and Acts 28, Paul on this long journey. You think you have like a, we drive to see Christie's family, and that's like a 26-hour drive to Colorado. That just seems like forever. This was a two-year journey to Rome. And now they didn't have the same, but remember, we saw how long it took, shipwrecks, imprisonments, all these things happening along the way that really drew out this visit for Paul. So that's kind of a quick review of where we've been since last August. If you want to catch up, you can check the series online at various places and, and hear all the messages. We kind of almost took a chapter, a message each time going through this book. But now we turn our attention to Acts 28. And before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to come and gather in your name. Uh, a chance to hear from your word, Lord. Lord, we ask now as we turn to Acts 28 that we would hear all that you have for us. The, the lessons that we can learn uh, from this book, Lord. Lord, be with me as I speak. Be with the church as they listen. May it be your words. May it be a challenge to hear these words, but a challenge to push us closer to you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to kind of look at the first verses here as we jump into this, and this is coming right out of the message from last week. Remember that shipwreck has happened, and we find themselves, they find themselves on this island of 
Malta. And then as they're on this island, the, the people show them kindness. And, and we're told that they start a fire for them. Now, remember, there was over 200 people on this ship. So as we hear that they started a fire to warm these people, this must have been a man's fire. I picture 200 people around blazing. I picture like 10 foot high flames just warming up all these people who have, remember, it's been all this time in the ocean. They're, they're soaking wet and they're desiring warmth. So here is this great fire that is happening here to warm them up. Then something happens that maybe this doesn't go through your mind sometimes when you're in the woods picking up sticks but it happens in, in my mind occasionally of what if there was a snake in this pile of wood? Anybody like that, me, think like that? Well, if you didn't, you're about to, because that's exactly what happens to Paul. Here he goes. He goes in and, and grabs some fire, some wood to throw onto the fire, and a viper, a snake, attaches itself to his hand. Anybody want to go start a fire now and grab some sticks? Everybody's like, nope, not going to do that. So here he is. Before he grabs that piece, this snake gets a hold of him. Now, probably maybe because of some, some pagan teaching or something, but now the locals think that, that Paul is either some kind of murderer or a poor person because he has survived this shipwreck. And now they're like, oh, see, now God is bringing out his justice, and now this man is going to die because of this snake bite. So something weird really happens. Scriptures say they kind of sit, look, and they just wait for Paul to either swell up and die. As I read that, I don't get any sense of, hey, can we help you? I'm like, they're just sitting there like, all right, when is he going to die? They're just sitting and waiting and waiting. And eventually they realize nothing is happening to this guy. And they get this sense that maybe this guy, we were all wrong about this guy. This guy is a god. How could he have ever survived this snake bite? He is this great God. And this is actually the second time, remember, that he has been confused for a God. And here he is, and we assume, as it doesn't say that, once again, Paul rejected this. And he probably said, I am not a God. And in fact, it goes on to say that he would perform miracles. That somebody in the city had a fever, and he goes and heals him. And then the rest of the city sees this, and they say, well, let's just bring all of our sick people to Paul then. And they do. And he performs many miracles, showcasing all that God is wanting to do. And as I reflected on this kind of opening section here in this, I kind of thought about it in this way, in that, you know, this island probably wasn't on the original itinerary for this trip. It wasn't a place that if the weather was perfect, that they would have ever stopped. They probably just would have sailed by and nobody ever would have seen Paul, heard of Paul. They would have had no clue. Because see, even in the midst of, of this shipwreck, of this downtime, which would seem like a terrible moment in life, God was still working. And it's something that we use as we talk about the, the sovereignty of God, that he is in control of all situations in our lives. Some of us see a shipwreck. We see a diagnosis that doesn't go the way we would think it is. We see the loss of a loved one. 
We see a pandemic that shuts down the world. All these things that we focus on, and we forget the God who is in control, the God who has a plan in all that he does. And this is what we see here. Even in the midst of this, we see God carrying out his plan for his people. Had the weather been perfect, they probably would have skipped over this island. But instead, they saw the miracles, miracles to give glory to God alone. You know, as we studied the book of Acts, I think the themes that we see here in Acts 28 are some of the same themes that we see throughout this book. And I think throughout the book of Acts, you see that God is sovereign, that God is in control. Through Stephen being stoned and then the scattering of the church to take the gospel to the ends of the world, he is in control. He is sovereign. So after that section, after some time, they are finally able again, as the weather clears out, to to proceed and to continue on their journey to Rome. And in verse 14, if you read it there, they finally arrive. And in verse 14, Luke says, And so we came to Rome. He says, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Apias and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So Paul reaches Rome. And we assume now that he is going to spend time under house arrest, guarded by a soldier. But I want you to reflect back on those verses. And there's two areas that are mentioned the form of a pious, and the three taverns. These were two cities along the Roman road that led to Rome, and they were about 43 and 33 miles from Rome. Somehow, somewhere, these brothers, these brothers in Christ, got word that Paul was on his way to Rome, and they came out. They came out, and it says they gave him courage. Think about the journey he's been on through shipwreck, through arrest, through persecution. And now here, as he's approaching the end of this journey and coming to Rome, here are these brothers coming alongside him. And it says it gave him courage. Now, I've never run a marathon, but I've heard from runners who have done marathons that one of the best parts of the marathon is toward the end. And sometimes toward the end of the race, they'll have friends and family gather toward the end. To do what? To encourage them, to lift them on and say, you can finish. You can do this. You're almost there. And I would say, no, I'm done. I quit 10 miles ago. But no, they would encourage them and they would go on in their journey. And that's what's coming along here. These people are here, and as Paul is coming in, as he's maybe feeling down about what's going on, he gets courage from these believers. And it says that he is thankful for them. I'm sure that this is just what Paul needed in this moment. You know, as we think about the trials we face in life and how often it is that it's the brothers and sisters in Christ who we are thankful for, the ones who come alongside us and give us courage. Sometimes it's a simple meal that's left on a doorstep. Sometimes it's a thoughtful card dropped in the mail. Whether it's somebody on the front lines or someone behind the scenes, we get courage from all people in the faith. Paul was thankful for those who came to give him comfort. 
and he found courage on that. As you think about it on your side, who are you thankful for? Who are the ones that have come alongside you that you need to thank for in those moments you say, I really needed this. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all you've done for me. And as I said before, I think as you look through the book of Acts, this is what we see in the church, a church that cared for each other. We see the birth of this church who cared for one another, who sought one another out, who cared for each other over and over again. And I think that's a great theme. I think as we look to faith, this is the church that we want to be, a church that cares for each other. As we see these families on stage, we want to be surrounding them with love. So as we continue on in this journey of Acts 28, we see as was Paul's regular custom, he often, remember when he would come into a city, would go out to a local synagogue and preach the gospel. There's one problem here. He's under house arrest. He cannot go out. So you'll see there in verse 20, just before that, it talks about how he gathers them. He tells them, hey, come, come to me. And he gathers the Jewish leaders into his presence so that he can share the word with them. He explains to them of how he has gotten to Rome, of how he was arrested and found to be really with no charge, to no reason to be arrested. He, remember, we've seen this before. He could have been set free if it wasn't for the fact that he had appealed to Caesar because the Jews wanted to kill him. And then we see the next lesson that we see in, verse, in this section of chapter 28, and it's one of hope. In verse 20, Paul says this, For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you, these Jewish leaders, and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing these chains. Now, ironically, this is the, the fourth time that, that Paul has mentioned th- this hope, for this hope as being the reason that he is in chains. In, in Acts 23 and verse 6, as he's talking to the, the Sadducees, he says, It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection from the dead that I am on trial. Then in Acts 24 and verses 14 and 15, he talks about how everything that was laid out in the law and the prophets having to do with the hope of God, which is the resurrection from the dead. Then again, in Acts 26, he says, My father's hope in a promise that was from God. He says that there is a hope that we have as believers a hope in this resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is the reason that I am in chains, because I have this hope. I have hope that there is a resurrection in Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear this, and this is why I am locked up. For, for these four times, he is saying, I am preaching nothing new. I am preaching of the prophets. I am preaching of the law. It's amazing how many times in the 9 a.m. class, as we're going through things, things connect with the class and with the message. And one of the things that we talked about in the class was hope. And how Peter, in that first chapter, talks about the hope that awaits believers. To people who were in exile. People who were, who were feeling abandoned. People who were out amongst themselves and they needed to understand the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. 
And in verse 3 of chapter 1, he talks about being born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then in verse 6, he says, In this, in this hope you rejoice, though now for a little while it is necessary that you have been grieved by various trials. He says, yeah, you're going through some struggles. Paul understood the struggles to go through, but he clung to this hope, and he rejoiced in the hope. And then again in verse 13 of chapter 1 in 1 Peter, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is Peter and Paul telling us? He says, I know it's rough right now, but remember what is coming. Remember the resurrection from the dead that is coming, that our internal life is set in Christ. Now, I don't have a lot of experience in this, but I hear there's something called picky eaters. They laugh because I am a picky eater, but, you know, sometimes kids can be very picky eaters. And sometimes, whether it's something at the dinner table, and they're just not eating it, right? You see, it seems like they are just suffering through this. Oh, it's the end of the world. Why must I eat this thing? This is terrible. I have never said that. So all these things happening, but what do we as parents do? We say, look, if you don't finish, there's, there's dessert at the end. I know you're, you're, you're suffering now through these fruits and these veggies and whatever is happening. But if you persevere through this, there's dessert. And, and as we go through our life, we're going through this rough time of fruits and veggies now, right? Amen? Hey, all right. That's, that's good. All right. There's more of you out there. So we're going through this. But what Peter is telling us, what Paul is telling us is, there's something better. There is a better hope that we have. Remember what Christ has done for us. And then later on in 1 Peter, he's even going to say that it's incomparable. It's like precious gold. We can't forget that hope that we have in the coming of Christ. So as this story unfolds, the Jews in Rome tell Paul that they've gotten no word. He tells them, Maybe Paul thinks that the Jews from Jerusalem have reached out to these people and told them what a bad person he is. But he t- they tell him, look, we've never heard anything about you. We've had no negative reports from anybody about you. And they actually give him and they say, but you know what? We want to hear about what you have to say. Now I can just picture Paul being like, hello, thank you for this opportunity. They tell him, tell us. We, we want to know what, what all this commotion is about. People are talking bad about this sect. And remember, they kind of saw Christianity as, as this sect of Jewish religion. So they say, teach us about this. We hear evil spoken of this, but tell us about this. And I think that's the next lesson that we see not only here, but also in the book of Acts. And it is the gospel. So in verse 23, it says that on the appointed day, they must have set a time to come and to meet with Paul and to hear about this message. And in this verse, it tells us that from morning until evening, he expounded to them 
testifying about the kingdom, testifying about all the law and the prophets. And then in verse 24, it says, And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Here again, this is the message of Acts, the message of the gospel. From morning until evening, expounding on the word, preaching the message about Christ. From Acts 13 until now, Paul has taken three missionary journeys, proclaiming the gospel throughout the cities. Peter, John, Philip, proclaiming the gospel, remembering the words that Jesus had given to them to be his witness. We have the same call upon our lives to preach the word, to give reason for the hope that we have to the lost in this world. The unfortunate part is the end of that verse. There will be some who accept. There will be some who reject. And it reminds me of Paul's heartbreak in Romans 9. As he is writing to this very church that he is now visiting, remember he had wrote to them years before introducing himself, he talks about the heartbreak he has for the nation of Israel. He wishes that he would be accursed so that they would be saved. He desires to see all come to Christ. Then in verse 28, he says, talks about their rejection. And he says, because of your rejection, then, then the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And then he goes on and explains in the following verses about the eyes who have been shut, the, the ears who will not hear the gospel. But we need to be those who proclaim the gospel, knowing that some won't listen, some won't hear, but we speak truth anyways. And then Acts 28, and the book of Acts closes with, with two simple verses. It says, He lived there for two years at his own expense, welcoming those who came to him. We know that he had visitors throughout this time. And it says he proclaimed the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Worship team, you can make your way back on the stage to be prepared to close. But for now, two years, <clears throat> he is going to be under house arrest in Rome. And, you know, if you read the book of Philippians, it's, it's one of the letters that he is going to write during this time that he is in house arrest. It's almost as if you read that letter, you don't even realize until he talks about that he is in chains. Because the book is all about being joyful. Being joyful in spite of the circumstances. And that's where we want to be today as believers. Not getting a sense of our circumstances, but looking to Christ for the hope that we have. And that is the book of Acts. It's about talking about Jesus Christ as the ultimate hope. Where do we find our courage. It is in Jesus Christ. Where do we find our purpose and our meaning? It is in Jesus Christ. Where do we find the boldness of Paul? It is in Jesus Christ. And that is the unity that binds the book of Acts with the whole scriptures itself. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him coming to this world as a perfect man, as the God-man, to die on a cross for our sins, for our sins which are many, for our sins which deserve the wrath of God. But he took that wrath upon himself on that cross. And the call for us is to repent and believe. You know, as we get ready to close, we're going to close with a song, I'll Follow You Anywhere. And I couldn't think that it's a great song to close 
the book of Acts with. We wanted people who are like Peter, like Paul, Philip, and Stephen, who would say, you know what, I will follow you anywhere. My hope is in Jesus Christ. From the beginning of Acts to the end, it is one message, the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to hear from your word, to hear from the book of Acts, the, the, the unity that comes in Jesus Christ. For the, the, the idea of God being in control, of being in control of the cross and seeking out God's way of salvation, of finding courage in Jesus Christ, of finding hope in Jesus Christ, and also preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, Lord. Lord, may we be a church that will follow you anywhere, Lord. Whether it's into persecution or not, Lord, we will follow you wherever you lead us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.